Um, I'm Eric Brown. Rick was my RA at Hampton Sydney in 1986 and 1987, and our small group Bible study leader, and he actually led me back to Christ when I was in college, and now some 30-odd years, 30-some-odd years later, you know, he's been my pastor since about 2013 or 14, I think, is when we started attending. And um, he asked me to share this morning, and he's in the middle of a series, so he asked me to share a, a section of Scripture that neither one of us have ever preached on. Um, he said, I've never preached. I said, I can't remember either. And I've been in ministry. I'm not currently a vocational minister, but um, Rick has an MDiv, which means he can ex exegete scripture and interpret and things. And I have a degree in youth ministry, which means I can build a water balloon launcher. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to do our best here this morning. Um, and I thought I might start with a Rick story if you wanted to hear. Well, I can share an Eric story or a Rick story. How many of you would rather hear a Rick story? Okay, that looks fair enough. We'll go with the Rick story. So um, Rick was my RA, and is, we've been studying in Scripture. You remember a few weeks ago we talked about Jesus kicking the money changers out of the temple. And if you want to know what Rick was as a RA at Hampton, Sydney. It's like just like a 35-year skinnier, more athletic version of who he is now. <laughs> I mean, basically the same guy, just a little skinnier, well, quite a bit skinnier. Um, <laughs> and, uh, but he, he was really a great RA. He kept us in line. He really took care of us. I mean, um, he was small group leader of the year, and they had never had one before. They never had one since, I don't think. It was just he just took such good care of us. But um. Rick had a side of him that was a lot, a lot like Jesus throwing the money changers out of the temple. We had, it was a mix of us. Some of us were native Virginians, and then we had the other guys. And the other guys were usually very wealthy from New Orleans, Atlanta, uh, Louisville, um, guys from all over. But they, they, most of those guys came from money. And then you had us local guys. Well, we had a guy that came from money, and... Um, for whatever reason, I just remember he, this guy liked to drink to excess. And one night, he and some buddies drank to excess, and whatever they drank was red. And it went down and it came up all over. We had an upstairs bathroom downstairs. It went all over the downstairs and the hall and the bathroom. It was everywhere. And um, so Rick is like, you know, we're like, what's... First, this guy's like, I'm dying, I'm dying, because all this stuff was red. And he thought he had had, <laughs> he thought his stomach had um, exploded or something. And so the next morning when he sobered up, everything was still in a bad state. And Rick was like, what are you going to do about this? And the guy made the mistake of going, the janitor can clean that up. That's his job. To which Rick Colwell <laughs> erupted. And said, no human being is going to clean up after another human being in this dorm. And Rick got the cleaning supplies, and he educated that young man on how to clean up the bathroom. And um, so Rick was in authority, and uh, he did a great job with us. It was a great... I, I can't remember. I'm sure Rick helped him clean up because that's just Rick's nature. But um, you'll have to ask Rick. I just know I went back upstairs to my dorm because it didn't involve me at all. <laughs> <laughs> I 
The funny thing about that same guy is before I came back to Christ, a group of us went from Hampton, Sydney to Randolph-Macon Women's College. We stopped in Pamplin to purchase alcohol because we knew I knew where to get it. <laughs> and so we proceeded to go to Randolph-Macon Women's College and get kicked out. Um, that's a whole nother story. But we got kicked out of Randolph-Macon Women's College, and then we're coming back, and that same guy had the same episode in my car, and um, to which I thought, man, I cannot sin and have any fun at all. And uh, it was really like one of those God moments, like this isn't the life for me. I want something different. I want kind of what Rick has because he was so, um, you know, had his life built on, on the rock. Let's look this morning at Luke chapter 20. That's enough Hampton Sydney stories to last you for till the next time I preach. Um, <laughs> we're in the middle of a series, and we're going through Jesus right up to the resurrection. It's going to end on Easter Sunday. And for the last two Sundays, uh, two Sundays ago, Rick talked about Jesus cleaning out the temple. So Jesus goes into the temple. He says, this is to be a house of prayer. You've made it a den of thieves. He kicks out the money changers, and he begins to teach and preach in the temple. Then last week, Jesus or Rick talked about how the religious leaders came to Jesus and said, tell us by what authority you are doing these things. Who's in authority here? Who gave you this authority? To which Jesus responded with a question and wouldn't answer their question. This morning, we're going to continue that thought. So Jesus kicked out the money changers. He began to preach and teach. They go, what authority do you have? Jesus wouldn't answer them. But then in verse 9 of chapter 20, Jesus told them a parable. And it says, And he began to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard and let it out to tenants and went into another country for a long time. When the time came, he sent a servant to the tenants so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent another servant, but they also beat and treat him, treated him shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent yet a third, this one they also wounded and cast out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Let us kill him so that the inheritance may be ours. And they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When they heard this, they, meaning the religious leaders, they said, Surely not. But he looked directly at them and said, What then is this that is written? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. The scribes and the chief priests sought to lay hands on him at that very hour, for they perceived that he told this parable against them, but they feared the people. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this word, that, the words that we've read this morning. We thank you for the word of God, which is our our hope, our anchor. Lord, we pray this morning that our faith will be strengthened, 
Lord, that those that are dealing uh, with struggles in their walk with you would be encouraged that those that don't know you would come to know you. In Jesus' name, amen. So what we want to look at this morning is that this passage is a passage about authority. The religious leader said, who's the authority here? I just shared in our norm, Rick was the authority. He, he was established by the college. He established the toad. He was the authority. I grew up, my dad was in the military. He owned his own business. I grew up learning authority. Um, when I was 12 years old, I was loading trucks. And I remember my first real lesson in authority was dad had told me to put certain lumber on a truck. Eric Ladd, now you got a picture. I'm 12 years old. I'm 95 pounds. I'm a little kid. So load the truck. Well, the truck driver comes in, and I, you know, we're talking. I said, Dad told me to load this. He goes, oh, right, put, put this on. So I listen to the truck driver. I load the truck. My dad comes back later. He sees the lumber that's supposed to be on the truck, not on the truck. And so he asked me what, what I asked. I said, well, Lewis told me to put that on the truck. And I got an education in ultimate authority. My lesson in authority was who signs the checks, but it wasn't nearly that nice. <laughs> and so I should have said mom, but um, <laughs> that would have been way worse. But my dad was who signs the checks. And all my life, I, I, wherever I've been, I've watched, like, who's an authority here? <laughs> you know, who signs the checks? Who's the ultimate authority? So when the religious, religious leaders came to Jesus, they asked, who is in charge here? And Jesus' response to that was to tell them a parable. And that's the passage we're studying. Two interesting things about this parable. Most parables are mysterious, meaning that the disciples, people would come back and ask Jesus, hey, Jesus, what did that parable mean? You know, there was a little bit of mystery to it. This parable is not like that. The hearers understood exactly what Jesus was saying and incorrectly interpreted it. It was an in-your-face parable, like, you don't have to wonder what I'm saying. I'm establishing my authority. And, and the, ultimately, what we're going to see here is where my lesson in authority was who signs the checks. Jesus' lesson in authority is what does the Scripture say? That's what we're going to see this morning. Now, this passage, when you read it, the readers understood that the vineyard was the nation of Israel, the Jewish nation. They understood that. It was a parable about a vineyard. There were so many analogies through Scripture of the vineyard. They had a clear picture of it. And in this case, the vineyard was entrusted to people to take care of it. So they didn't own the vineyard. Um, my dad one time let me use a motorcycle, and, and he had this KZ440 motorcycle, and I would ride it. I, again, I was about 12 years old, and I got, unbeknownst to me, one day my cousin and I were racing. I was on this 440, and he was on an 80, and I was winning big time, but I was losing because I was going down our dirt driveway at about 50 miles an hour, and little did I know my dad had pulled in behind me. And when, when we got to the house, I saw the anger in his eyes. And he said, put that bike away and don't ever touch it again. Give me the key. 
It was five years later before he let me ride it. And that's what we're seeing in this. Um, why? Because I wasn't a good steward. I wasn't responsible. That's what we're seeing here in the scripture, that the Father has given this vineyard, let this vineyard out to people who are to be stewards of it, and it comes time where they're to share in the fruit of the vineyard. And he sends three servants to them. Each one they abuse and send away. And then he says, guess what? I'll send my son. So this is the fourth visitation. I'm going to send my son, and surely they'll respect him. And, and in the parable, it says that they wanted to kill him so that the inheritance would be ours. What did they want? They weren't happy merely being a steward. They wanted to be owners. They wanted to be the authority. They, they couldn't recognize somebody else as being in charge, the authority. You know, they weren't stewards of the Jewish nation. They were owners. We own this. This temple is our temple. These people are our people. This money is our money. And so what did they do to the son? They threw him out and said, let us kill him so that the inheritance will be ours. The listeners would have understood that if you were a steward for three to five years and the owner didn't come back and reestablish ownership, that you could take in, in the nation of Israel at the time, you could claim ownership. So they weren't happy with stewardship. They wanted ownership and ultimate authority. And it said this, what will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come to those, he will come and destroy those tenants. Now look, this is the fifth visitation. God has sent them three servants, he sent his son, now the father shows up. And when the father shows up, it's not pretty. It says, what will he do? He will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When they heard this, they said, surely not. But not like, a, like surely not. They understood that Jesus was talking about stewardship of the nation of Israel. That judgment was coming. They understood this was a parable about judgment and they go, surely not. Don't let this be. And then Jesus, it says, looked directly at them and said, What then is that that is written? What then is this that is written? What do the scriptures say? The scriptures say the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. Now let's look back at Psalm chapter Psalm 118, because that's where the scripture comes from. Jesus is quoting an Old Testament scripture. I had always read that scripture as, if you fall on the stone and are broken, that's a good thing. If it falls on you and you're crushed, that's a bad thing. After studying it, and I talked to Rick Thursday night and said, man, I'm studying this, what do you think? Um, most scholars agree, based on other scriptures that quote this scripture, either falling on the stone or having the stone fall on you are both bad things. There's only one place for this stone. Now, Psalm 118 is part of the Hallel. That would be 
from Psalm 113 to Psalm 119, the Jewish people would read those psalms together as a prayer at all of their big festivals. Verses 19 through 29, they would read it and go back and reread it. So they read all these scriptures, so they, but then they reread the last 10 verses, which, which this passage comes out of. So the Jewish leaders understood this passage like, you know, they know this passage, and they know exactly what it's talking about. So let's look at verses 19 through 29 of Psalm 118. It says, Open to me the gates of righteousness, that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. We're going to stop right there because there's several scriptures to go through. But if you look at that passage, it says there in verse 21, I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. If we think about buildings, I don't know if you've ever been on a building with a bad foundation or you owned a house that had a foundation issues. Um, having anything with foundation issues is, is not good. It's not fun. My nephew yesterday was showing us pictures of a big pile of dirt, and he's 18, and um, his friend's dad has a construction company, and they're remodeling an antebellum house in northern Virginia, and the foundation's bad. So they had to pull up all the floors, pull up all the joists, get in there with picks and shovels and digging and doing a whole new foundation. In their culture, they, in Jewish culture, they understood the cornerstone, getting your corners right, the foundation of what you do. And it's saying here that the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And what did Jesus say in Luke? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. So you want to know who's in authority? It's the stone that the builders rejected is now the cornerstone. Now think about this. If you've got a cornerstone, there's only one place for it. And where is that? In the corner. So if the cornerstone is not in the corner, where is it? It could be on the hillside. It could be out on the construction site. For you to avoid tripping over the stone and being broken. Isn't that what Jesus talked about? You know, if you, you fall on the stone, you're going to be broken. How are you going to avoid that? It's got to be in the corner. <laughs> if it's part of the foundation, you can't trip over it, can you? If it's part of the foundation, if Christ is the foundation, can you be crushed? No. And that's what they knew. Is, um, the Jewish leaders knew this song. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. It's become the, the authority, the foundation. If you look, let's look at Isaiah chapter 8. This passage of the, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, it's listed in, it's in six distinct scriptures in the Old Testament and the New Testament. 
Time-wise, it first appeared in Psalm, then it appeared in Isaiah, then Jesus quoted in Luke, then Paul quoted it in Ephesians, and then Peter quoted in 1 Peter. So a scripture that's mentioned that many times is super important to our faith. So look at Isaiah 8, chapter 14. And this is uh, talking about judgment. I'm going to start in verse 11. It said, For the Lord spoke thus to me with his strong hand upon me, and warned me not to walk in the way of this people, saying, Do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy. And do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. But the Lord of hosts, him shall you honor as holy. Let him be your fear, and let him be your dread. And he will become a sanctuary, and a stone of offense, and a rock of stumbling to both the houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many shall stumble on it. They shall fall and be broken. They shall be snared and taken. So when the religious leaders heard Jesus speak this parable, they knew what Psalms had said. They knew what Isaiah said. They knew he was speaking against them. Look also at Isaiah chapter 26, verses 14 and 16. Sure, I wrote that right. Actually, I think I'm. I wrote that scripture wrong. I'm going to skip that one, but there is another passage that uh, I'm looking at the wrong place. That's, nope. I'm going to skip that one because I've written it down wrong. But it also mentions the cornerstone. There's another passage in Isaiah that mentions the cornerstone. And you might say, well, Eric, what is the application for us today? The religious leaders, they knew Jesus was speaking against them, that he was telling them, I am the authority. I'm established, the authority established by God. I'm the authority established by Scripture. Look over at Ephesians chapter 2. In the New Testament verses 18 through 22. It says, For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are being built together into a dwelling for God by his Spirit. So where, where does this go? It starts off with the, the authority. Who is the authority? And Jesus says, the stone that the builders rejected, he is to be the cornerstone. 
the cornerstone of the nation. That's what Luke is specifically, the cornerstone of the nation. But Christ is not only the cornerstone of the, of the nation of Israel, he's the cornerstone of the church. And he's to be the cornerstone of your life. And on this, in the scripture, it says that we are being built together. We're growing into a holy temple, a dwelling place for God by his spirit. Isn't that what the church is supposed to be? That together we're a dwelling place for God by his spirit. One of the things about a foundation, if you think we lived out in the Midwest and went to school in Oklahoma and we had a lot of tornadoes. And I don't know if you've ever been, I mean, we had the tornado in Evergreen. But if a house has a good foundation, a tornado can come through and blow the whole house off the top of the foundation. You know, everything gone but the deck. And you know what? You can rebuild. Why? Because you've got a foundation. The corners are strong. The foundation is strong. But you take a house that has a, a weak foundation, that has no foundation. What happens when the storm comes? Can you rebuild? Do you want to rebuild? No, it's, it's gone. It's gone forever. So I, I was thinking, I was thinking about some of you have been through very difficult times. Maybe, you know, the storms of life blew through and your marriage just blew away. You know, the marriage blew away or the job blew away or the business blew away. The storms of life hit you hard. But your foundation is the cornerstone of Christ. And when Christ is that cornerstone, he can rebuild on your life something beautiful. He can take things that have been totally destroyed and just build something beautiful. Why? Because you've got a cornerstone. And you, there are times in your life where that may be all you've got, where you're like, God, everything is blown away. My health is gone. My business is gone. My family's gone. Um, I'm confused. Mentally, I may not be where I need to be. But you've got that cornerstone, and out of that cornerstone, Christ can rebuild your life. He can build you up and strengthen you. I was going to ask you to get that scripture for me. Thank you, sir. <laughs> I knew he would take, I almost asked him, like, J.D., you know the scripture from the bottom of your heart. Like, tell me where that scripture's at. I'll go back and look. But, um, but during the storms, when you've got the cornerstone, you can, God can rebuild for you. Look back at, at Isaiah chapter 28, verse 16. It says, Therefore hear the word of the Lord, you scoffers. It's Isaiah 28, verse 14. Who ruled this people in Jerusalem, because you have said we made a covenant with death, and with Sheol we have an agreement. When the overwhelming whip passes through, it will not come to us. For we have made lies our refuge, and in falsehood we have taken shelter. So in this passage, what the leaders have said is even though judgment's coming, it's not going to touch us. Therefore, thus says the Lord, behold, I am the one who has laid a foundation in Zion. A stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste. And I will make justice the lime and righteousness the plumb line. And hail will sweep away the refuge of lies and water will overwhelm the shelter. So again, the, 
going back, the Jewish leaders knew exactly what Jesus was saying. He was saying, you're about to be judged, and the nation of Israel, the Jewish people, are going to be taken from under your care. You haven't been faithful stewards, and I'm bringing judgment. Let's look over the last place that this scripture is mentioned in scripture that I know of is 1 Peter 2, 1 through 12. The book of 1 Peter. It's after James. It's near the end, near Revelation. If you got your Bible, go ahead and take time and, and look over. Here is the application for us. Let those that are turning find it. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk so that you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. But they stumble because they disobey the word. But you are a chosen net race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. What we see there is, is, for, is Peter is quoting Isaiah, and he's quoting Psalm, and he's saying that, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. How many of you have ever done something you're ashamed of? Be honest. How many of you have done something you're ashamed of this week? <laughs> now, you said something, you did something. If we have this cornerstone and the one who believes in him will not be put to shame, why are we not put to shame? because we don't ever act shamefully or because he's the one who takes away our shame, who covers our shame with his blood. The beauty of having Christ as your cornerstone is he takes away your shame. So as earlier I was mentioning about when the storms have come and, and life seems to have wiped everything away and all you got left is your cornerstone and you may be sitting there going, wow, I don't have much. And maybe you feel a little bit ashamed like, wow, if I was a better person, maybe this wouldn't have happened or maybe if I had done this, this wouldn't have happened. And, and you, you play those stories in your mind. Where do you need to go? Where Jesus sent the religious leaders, go to the word of God. Who is my cornerstone? 
What is my cornerstone? Is my cornerstone the fact that I never acted poorly? Is my cornerstone my own works? Is my cornerstone how good I am? Or is my cornerstone Christ and Christ alone? The one who was rejected. Is he your cornerstone? It says, so the honor is for you who believe. It says, they stumble because they disobey the word, but you are what? You are a chosen race. I don't know if you ever think about this, but you are chosen. You are chosen. God has chosen you. And I don't tell, like I said, I was trained as a youth pastor. I don't understand all, like, some things, like, how does he choose one? My, my you know, in Bible school, one of our teachers said, talked about election, and it says, um, People are talking about election. Well, election is God's voting for you, the devil's voting against you, and how you vote carries the election. <laughs> to, I mean, you know, it's the, that kind of, you no, know, is that theologically correct? Rick can fix that next week. That's, I'm just, <laughs> that's why I'm glad I'm not the pastor. I can just say stuff. Um, but you are chosen. And I can tell you this. You are chosen, you are chosen, you are chosen. So when you, you're there and you're feeling like, man, all I got is just being this cornerstone. You and that cornerstone are enough. You are chosen. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Well, Eric, I don't feel very royal, royal and I don't feel very holy. Doesn't matter how you feel. Doesn't matter how you feel. What matters is that Christ has chosen you. He's called you. You are royal. You are holy. You are a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You are called. You are holy. You are royal. You are chosen. You're called out of darkness into light. And in the midst, of everything going on in your life and I'm not one like I see people go through stuff and I don't know how they do it and I'm just in awe of, of how they can praise God in the midst of certain things they may be struggling with but in your life just look inside of you is there anything in your life that is praiseworthy is there anything that you can proclaim that God has carried you through is there anything he's done, even in the last week, that he, you know, you think, I don't have anything. Well, he woke you up this morning. I don't have anybody that cares about me. Yes, you do. <laughs> there are people who care immensely about you. And it says, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, now you have received mercy. Say that with me this morning. Say, I have received mercy. I have received mercy. Say it like you mean it. I have received mercy. Have any of you done things that you didn't get caught for? You have received mercy. Some of you sped this week terribly. You might have even driven by a police officer. He didn't pull you over. You've received mercy. We have received mercy. And he ends by saying to live our lives as sojourners and exiles. 
Who is a, does a sojourner or exile own anything? No. And you say, well, I own my house. Well, you quit paying your property taxes and see how long you own it. <laughs> how about this? I own my house. Well, what happens if you die this week? Do you still own it? We are sojourners. We are exiles. We don't own anything. We are stewards. That's the principle of the Scripture. We are stewards of the grace of God. The Scripture says, do not receive the grace of God in vain. Receive His grace this morning. No matter how long, and here's the deal. If your life, you're looking around, your life's kind of a mess, but Christ is the cornerstone. Just say, Christ, you're my cornerstone. Just rebuild whatever you want to build, but be my cornerstone. If you're here this morning and, and your life's a mess, but Christ is nowhere to be found, like he's the cornerstone, you're like, he's in, in the periphery of my life. He's not the focus at all. What do you do? This word says you make Christ your cornerstone. It doesn't matter who's rejected him. You say in your heart, I reject you no longer, Christ. I accept you. That's what happened to me in Hampton, Sydney. It was simple. I mean, my life's been full of ups and downs. There's things going on. I made mistakes. But in the midst of it, he's never quit being my cornerstone. When I went to Hampton, Sydney, he was not my cornerstone. And I watched. He was Rick's cornerstone, but he wasn't mine. And I made a decision. I still remember it. December 31st, 1986. I was in Atlanta, Georgia. I looked around. I said, these people are not living for God at all. And, and I, actually, my prayer was, I want what Rick has. I want that same type of faith. And, and at that point, I made Christ my cornerstone. And that might be your decision this morning. As we close today, uh, those can get ready for our closing hymn. I just want to encourage you. My heart this morning for you. There's so many of you who are so much stronger than you think, and you made Christ your cornerstone, and I watch you go through life, and I'm in awe of what he does. I just want to encourage you. There's others of you I may not know who, who really you just need to, to make that decision like, God, I'm going to quit rejecting you. I'm going to make Christ my cornerstone. So if that's you this morning, I'm going to come down front. If you want to come forward and pray, I'd be happy to pray with you. And uh, let's pray.